scripture together. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. 2 Peter 1 and verse 3. It's going to come up on the screens for you. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Let's pray. Father, why don't we put our hands on our hearts and just pray together. Lord, speak to my heart now change my life for your glory. Amen. I'm going to give you my title in a moment. But first, I want to ask you a question, and the question is this. What do you want 2020 to be like for you and for your walk with God? What would you like 2020 to be like? Now, at this point, I really should have a microphone, shouldn't I, and jump down from here and come around and ask some of you, which in fact I think is what I'm going to do. So if you're still out at the children's work, don't come back yet, is the moral of the story, because you'll avoid the awkward questions. If you're here and diligent because you got here, well done. We're just putting a microphone together. What do I want 2020 to be like? Steve, thank you. In terms of my walk with God. So let's ask a few people. Um, John? Well, more closer to God in loving him and being preaching more the gospel. Well, that's so good. I think you better go and finish the message off. That's really good. <laughs> All right, give the rest of you some chances to think about this now. We've walked down here. I could pick on anybody, but I'm going to walk to shame. To have deeper relationship with God. Deeper relationship with God. More than this year. More than this year. That's a good thing to want too. Well done. You have been reading my notes, the pair of you, haven't you? This is either that or you're very prophetic. Let's ask that. Sylvia. You knew. Well, the Lord spoke to you. You must have a good answer. Come on, give us a good answer. Yeah, I think much like what's already been said, I, I just want to be that much closer to God and, and to know him more and more. That is a great answer. To know God more and more, be that much closer to him. Oh, were you offering an answer there, Ben? Sure, yeah. I'd like to be a better son-in-law. Um, <laughs> More patient, kind-hearted. I feel I've stitched myself up here, <laughs> especially with the people that you have to live with. That's, that's right. Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah. It requires extra grace. So yeah, that's good. Okay, I've got my own comeuppance there. Let's ask a couple more people over this side. Twenty twenty. Nathan, what do you want to look like for you? Well, not just to finish with having a relationship with God, but telling others as well. I think working on evangelism will be okay. great this year. Good. Telling others, Gabby. Breakthrough. breakthrough. Okay. Any particular breakthrough you're looking for? Uh, professional financial. Professional financial at home. Okay. Personal breakthrough there. 
Okay, well, we'll let the rest of you off at that point. Steve, give you a microphone back. For me, I'd like 2020 to look like this. And it's really summed up for me in the words that we looked at a bit earlier in the year of one of the prophecies that we were given uh, a few years ago. And here, here are the words. I've got them here on the screen. And this is the bit of the prophetic word that really spoke to me. So if we can put the next slide up, please. This was a prophetic word from Andy Charlton in 2015. It said this further on through the prophecy. Take heart, my children. There is a light ahead, a new kind of living, real life, real breakthrough, real vision, real faith, real prosperity, real multiplication, the real deal. Now, all that I died to apprehend for you is at your disposal. For me... In 2020, I want something real, even more real than the very good real of 2019. And there was some good stuff in 2019, really good stuff. But it's this word real here. There's a promise here of a new kind of living, real breakthrough, real prosperity. There you are, Gabby, you're spot on. Can you take that to yourself this morning and say, Amen, I'll take that prophetically. Real vision, real faith, real multiplication. There you are, some of you said evangelism like Nathan and John. Can you take that, real multiplication? Anybody else that said that as well? The real deal. All that I died to apprehend for you is at your disposal. The real will come about because Jesus really died and really rose again and really comes to us by his spirit and really speaks to our heart and really comes to live inside of us in the new birth. And because of what he's done, because that is real, we can have this real life, this new kind of living, the real deal. So I called my title this morning just simply Real. And I thank God for last year. Now, I don't mean to disappoint all of you people who are looking forward to a really good party uh, in the middle of the week and see in the new year. Do go and do enjoy. But actually, 2020 does not start on Wednesday morning at midnight or something like that. 2020 starts now, prophetically and spiritually, right now, here in this meeting here while we're together. 2020, the new year, begins prophetically right away, right now, a few days ahead of the calendar, if you like. I wonder what you'd have said if I'd have asked you with the microphone that you're looking for for 2020 in your walk with God. Can you hear what's in the words of that prophecy and say, God, I'd like some more of that. Real knowledge of you, a deeper walk with you, closer walk with you, knowing you more, a real kind of living, a real kind of multiplying, a real kind of faith that I share my faith with others in a whole new way that is real for me and real for them and so on. So I'm going to look at real today in terms of the passage we looked at just now in 2 Peter. And I want to look at 
three aspects of that. They all begin with the letter G. And the first one is godliness. And I think that sums up those people that said they want to draw closer to God and draw nearer to him and have a deeper walk with him. What does godliness look like? Well, this is what the scripture said, by the way, when we read it, seeing that his divine power has has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. Now, when we talk about the knowledge of Jesus, we're not just talking about a list of facts in a book or some Bible verses that we can read off, but we're talking about actually knowing him through the Holy Spirit as a person living inside of us, as someone who's there constantly talking to us, who's there when we pray, who's there when we reach out to him in the day in all kinds of different ways. And the Bible says there in that verse that the power to live this godly life is available to us. And it's something that was in that prophetic word as well, where it said, all that I died to apprehend for you is at your disposal. Everything we need to be all we need to be and have this real life and living in 2020 is available to us. So thank God for 2019. There's been really good things this year. Amen? But I'm looking forward to 2020 with even more hope, even more faith, even more expectation, even more desire that there'll be something more. At Reiser, who gave us a tremendous prophetic word last year, was praying during the, uh, the, the prayer meeting before we started today. And she prayed something out along these lines. I think she's in great prophetic mode at the moment. And she prayed out about 2020 being that kind of year, which is even beyond what we've experienced this year. Now, what does godliness look like? I just want to spend a few minutes on this before we look at the other two points. Many years back, some friends of mine in the church I was in were telling us about a totally unscheduled meeting or an unexpected meeting they had with somebody who was a retired or former Archbishop of Canterbury. Now, if you know the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, that title is given to the senior clergyman or clergywoman as these days as well in the Church of England. And they lead the Church of England. I think the Queen is the actual head of the church in some sort of regard, but the senior ordained or set-aside pastor is the Archbishop of Canterbury. And these guys were visiting this property, and who should be there but a former Archbishop of Canterbury? And they got talking to him, and this is what they said to me about their discussion with this guy. They said, you could tell we were in the presence of a godly man. I thought that was very impressive. You could tell we were in the presence of a godly man. Wow. Imagine if somebody met you on the bus and went home and said to their spouse or their people they live with, I met this woman on the bus today or this guy on the bus today. You could tell you were in the presence of a godly person. Wouldn't that be awesome? You don't have to be the Archbishop of Canterbury, by the way, for that to be said about you, but there it is. So how do we do that? Well, the Bible puts it to us in two ways. It says, first of all, we have to become a partaker of something. We have to take part in something. We have to receive something. We have to have an experience of something. And that something, it says, is so that you may become partakers of the divine nature. 
to be a godly person means something of who God is in his character and nature has to come into us and become who we are in our character and nature. We have to be like God. And as well as being a partaker, you have to be an escaper. It says just before that, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, I'm not sure what your view of the world around us might be, whether it's a good place, a bad place, somewhere in between, but actually the Bible is very clear that the world, society, the way people organize themselves without God, the way people run their lives without God, the way people go about their day-to-day affairs without God, that is a corrupt place. The way it thinks, the way it acts, the way it wants stuff, the way it expresses itself, the way it does relationships, the way it does a whole lot of stuff, that is not the way God does things. And if we ever want to become godly people, we need to escape all of that. We need to distance ourselves, detach ourselves, disconnect ourselves from all of that. And if we don't, we'll never become the godly people God calls us to be. This affects everything we do. The way we think, the way we talk, our attitudes, the books we read, the programs we watch on the TV, the things we do with our leisure time all affected by this. We have to escape the way that everybody else does things. There's a general maxim in life. It goes something like this. If you want to know what's God's way, look at what the majority are doing and then do the opposite, and you'll probably be about right somewhere. That's the way it works. Now, if we become a partaker of the divine nature and we escape this world's way of doing things and this world set of values and so on, then... Peter gives us a list of seven things here with godliness sort of two-thirds of the way through. And he gives us a picture that builds. And he says, it's like building blocks. You stack these things up, and as you're stacking them up, you head towards godliness. The first thing he tells us is moral excellence. Moral excellence. Now, linking that to what I just said, I think if you look at the news and the newspapers and generally your experience of the world, this is something that's rather lacking in our society, moral excellence. But that's something we need to have. We need to be different to the world around us, and we need to be different to the kind of people we were or the kind of people we can be if we let our old nature take over. Moral excellence. We need to do the right things in the right way for the right reason at the right time consistently. We need to be people of moral excellence. The second thing is knowledge. And we touched on this just now. We need to know God. And we need to know God in our experience, not just in our theology. Uh, Years back when I first became a Christian, I had a very troublesome conversation on the doorstep. Two people came with a series of magazines. I won't give you the title, but you can guess where they're from, if you've ever had this happen to you. And one of the things they started arguing about was, who was Jesus? 
is Jesus the son of God or not? Or is he just some angel that God adopts as his son, which was their wrong, heretical, unbiblical view? So I started searching the Bible to make sure I was on the right lines, and I spoke to the assistant pastor, and, and I said, you know, what, what do we believe? How do I believe? I need to know. So he said, he, he went through the scriptures with me. It was really good stuff. And then he said, but actually, if you want to know whether the, the teaching about the Trinity is real, get to know God. Get to know Jesus. Get to know the Holy Spirit through your prayer life, through walking with him, through his word. As you get to know him, you'll get to know about him. As you get to experience who he is, you will understand why this teaching is so important and why it's so true. So that really helped me. It wasn't just a head knowledge. It wasn't even digging into the Bible. It was doing that so I could really get to know him, who he is, and who he is to me in my life. So we're called to have moral excellence, to do the right things, even when it costs us, even when it's uncomfortable. We're called to know him and to know him as a person in our daily experience. And then we're told to have self-control. I won't ask for a show of hands, but who has been struggling with self-control over Christmas when the tin of quality streets or the box of heroes is going round? Okay, sinners will be forgiven because I have to include myself in that category, even as near as yesterday. I mean, it's so hard to say no sometimes, isn't it? Those little rappers inside there are just calling out to you. I'm sure it spoke to me yesterday and said, eat me. And I couldn't, well, I could have resisted, but I didn't. Self-control is a real challenge for us to say no when we need to say no, and to say yes when we need to say yes. That's self-control. It's so important. And then perseverance. It's doing all these things consistently. I wonder how many New Year's resolutions are going to be made in two or three days' time. I think this is the time of the year when gym memberships get taken out for several months, and by February, people aren't turning up and the bikes are standing empty or something like that, and all those memberships that have been paid for are not being used. I think gyms survive on the people that don't go, but just buy the membership. There's so many things we need to do to be persevering and to keep going in the right way. And that's a real challenge to be consistent. All the things that you spoke out earlier, things you'd like for 2020, I could say amen to them. And I'd put this one word after it. I'd like to, or before, I'd like to consistently get closer to God. I'd like to consistently share my faith. I'd like to consistently persevere with these important things. And then that leads us in the list of godliness. Being like God in manner and behavior and practices. And then it goes on to give us two things that godliness looks like. The first one is brotherly kindness. Did you know God is kind? There's a lot of people out there who don't believe God is kind, but his nature is to be kind. We've had an interesting Christmas. Caris and Ben and the children have been away. It's been a quiet Christmas. Yesterday, they all came back. <laughs> this morning was a different experience to the last few mornings we've had. We could hear our newest little addition to the, to the family clan upstairs. I, I, at first, I thought he was singing, but then it turned into more of a wail. 
Do you know, when your baby wails like that, and it's early in the morning, you still show kindness. You're still kind to it. So you hear that, and then you hear these sort of footsteps across the floor. And then you hear this little voice, Hello, little baby. How are you? Lots of kindness coming out at 4.30 or 5 or whatever time it is in the morning. God is kind. He is good and kind. That's the nature of godliness. It is kind to people. Is our faith kind to people? I did something little once, and I didn't think anything of it. I was a few years ago being a Christian. And in those days, we now this will take you back a few years, we had something called, listen to this, it was called a typewriter. Anybody remember one of those? A few of you, you've probably seen them in museums somewhere, some of you younger ones. But the, the thing about the typewriter was, I mean, it was the height of technology in those days, and we had a typewriter, not just any typewriter, but where I was, where I was working in a school, I was teacher training, and the typewriter, instead of having all those keys that went up, it had like a, a round thing, a golf ball that used to spin round. And um, I mean, this was, and, and stamp the ribbon and make the, the, the thing on paper, make the mark on the paper. I mean, this was the IBM of its day. Well, it was made by IBM, I think. It was amazing. Golf ball, and it was electric as well. So when you touch the keys, instead of having to push the key down for the little thing to come up, it just did it electrically by a motor. I mean, I felt I was in like, you know, science fiction future. Anyway, I went, into the, uh, I went into the staff room to use this machine and another guy's work was on there. He was partway through. He had a book. He was typing something up. So I finished it for him so I could use the machine. It was just a simple thing to do. I just finished off his typing. When he came back, he made such a big deal. Thank you so much. I was really behind. I needed that time. That's really saved me a lot of time. I'm not a very fast typist. To me, it was just a little bit of kindness just to finish his work for him. To him, it was a big deal. Even a small amount of kindness really speaks to people's hearts. Oh, that our Christianity will be kind. Kind to people. And finally, love. We love as Christ loved. And that's not the mushy, sentimental love that goes around for love today. It's principled. It's consistent. It's godly and it's true. So this all comes under the heading of godliness. If we want to be godly people through knowing Christ and so on. They, these are these seven things, and they all build one upon another. The second thing is granted. It says this, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them, it goes on to say, we will escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, I'm going to make you all envious at the moment. If, have, have any of you been a student in the last 10 or 15 years or a student now? Let's see a show of hands. How many of you have been students or are students now? Quite a few. Okay. Have you been anything other than a student, Lily? I'm just... Uh, <laughs> I think they've run out of courses for Lily to take now. You know, sort of, she's done most of them. When I was a student, this will take you back, a wonderful concept was in place called a grant. And this is what the grant was. For your student life, or for your student three-year degree, let's say, you would be given a sum of money this is the, that you did not have to pay back. 
It was not a loan. It was a free gift. They were giving away thousands of pounds. And all you had to do was go and say, please, can I have some? It was pretty much automatic. Can you, can you believe that life was once that good as a student? Now, it wasn't a great deal. It just about covered you. But it was compared to what you have to do today, I think we were in heaven and we didn't realize it. In a matter of speaking, at least in heaven. That's called a grant. It was given to you so that you could train and equip yourself to do the job that you would then do and benefit society by. When I was later training student teachers, and they came to me after three years of university, one year into their teacher training, and they needed to buy clothes to be a professional at school with, and they were already sitting on 20 or 30,000 pounds worth of debt or more, they man, this is really hard for them. Suddenly they've got to buy clothes, they've got to get themselves to school, they've got to get transport, and they're already sitting on a mountain of debt. And for doctors, it was even worse. In those days, doctors were sitting on about 45, 50,000 pounds worth of debt. And some of you are thinking, if only mine was that low. <laughs> yes? How much better to be given a grant? Here, you want to do something good? Dave, you want to do something good? Here's 30,000 pounds to help you. Can you say hallelujah? Steve, you want to do something good? Here's 30,000 pounds to help you. Isn't that amazing? We had this thing called a grant. Now, I want to tell you some good news. Grants have not stopped. They may have done politically for students, but spiritually for people, grants are still available. Because God has granted us. He has granted us incredible, amazing things. He's granted us something called promises. And it says those promises are two things. Can you read them out from the screen if you can see them there, if I'm not standing in your way? What are those promises? Precious and magnificent. I hope that sounds appealing to you. I hope that sounds good to you. Jared, if I said to you, here's a ticket to go to the post office, somebody's trying to deliver to you a precious and magnificent Christmas present, would you go? I think you would go for the sake of a precious and magnificent Christmas present. God's promises are precious and magnificent. Please say precious and magnificent to the person next to you. If you're married to them, you better tell them they are precious and magnificent. Or if you want to be married to... No, no, we don't go there. Okay. God is in the grant business. He is not giving out loans that he wants you to pay back with interest one day. He is giving you free, gratis, with no strings attached, incredible grants. And they're his promises. Now, there are thousands of these in the Bible. So many, people can't agree how many. But at least 7,000. And they're all precious and magnificent. And they all have the effect of helping you to be the person God's called you to be. They all have the effect of being precious and magnificent and equipping you in life to do what you need to do. And they're absolutely free. All you have to do is ask. Now, one year in my life as a student, I forgot to do this. Every year, you had to reapply for the grant to make sure you were still in the course. And one year, I totally forgot. 
So when it came the time to receive grant payments and checks, guess what? The university refused me to go back the next year because I hadn't applied. Ah! When I realized my mistake, I felt awful. I felt poor. I felt hungry. I felt destitute. But I quickly got my application in. I took it in by hand, and I virtually got down on bending and begged the administrator at the desk to receive my application after the deadline, which, because she was kind, she did. And I didn't starve. And I managed to then continue my course without being chucked off because there wasn't a grant to pay for it. And it's the same with God's promises. The promises for 2020 are there. They just need you to go get them. They need us to make application for them. And the way you apply for a promise, how, how do you apply for a promise from God? Anybody know? Ask. Yeah, it's sort of like this. Please, Lord. Now, as well as general promises in the Bible, I know in this room there are specific promises. Things that have gone off in your heart just from reading the Bible or from listening to a sermon or from being in prayer or being in a meeting when the Spirit's moving or a prophetic word, there are promises spoken over your lives that you're still waiting to happen in their fullness or at all. Is that right? Those promises are also magnificent and precious. Don't lose sight of them. Don't forget to apply for them in 2020. If God's promised you to raise you up as a ministry, if God's promised you souls, if God's promised you cells, if God's promised you a prophetic gift, if God's promised you a marriage partner, if God has promised you a deeper walk with him, can I encourage you, get that promise out between now and 2020, starting officially on the calendar on Wednesday. Dust it off and say, God, here's my promise. It's precious, it's magnificent, and it's a grant. It's a free gift from you. I'm applying again. Sorry I'm a bit late with the application, Lord, but I know you're kind. Here I am on bended knee. Please, Lord, send this promise to me this 2020 year. Amen? They're your promises, spoken personally to you as well as the general ones. Please, please, please apply for them because the effect will be a great encouragement on all of us when we see you inheriting the promises that God has promised you. It will encourage our faith to do the same. So don't miss out, and we will rejoice with you. So as well as godliness and granted, the third thing is growth. Growth. It says this in this passage, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not enough to be good for a week or two and then slip back. It's not enough to have been good for all of 2019 and then carry on at the same level of good for 2020. Actually, that would be quite good in a way. But actually, according to this passage, it's not quite enough. And the reason it's not enough is it says this. If these qualities are yours and are increasing. If these qualities are yours 
and are increasing. These things need to keep growing in us. Now, we've given this illustration before, but we'll build on it again this morning. Walking, living the Christian life, walking in this world is walking against the tide of everything that's coming against you. And we joke and mess around and say it's like running the wrong way up the escalator, which I still do on occasions to embarrass my family. (laughs) It used to be to embarrass my children. Now I do it to embarrass my grandchildren. Sometimes I get away with it without being told off, but usually the security people, they they turn up very quickly when you do that sort of thing. You never see them before then. They suddenly come out between the clothes rails where they're looking for shoplifters, and they, they and they, they look at you with disapproving looks when you're running the wrong way up the escalator. But that's the picture of what it's like to live the Christian life. Everything this world stands for and everything inside of us in our old life is like the escalator going down. And trying to live the Christian life is trying to run up the down escalator. So you've got to keep moving at a certain pace just to stay there. And if you get it a bit faster, then you can actually make progress and go up the down escalator. If only it was that simple. Well, here's two things. First of all, if you stop, what happens? You go back down. Have you ever seen anybody fall on an escalator? I have. I was in Newcastle Airport. It happened one day. Somebody actually collapsed on the escalator. And the escalator came down against them. They were like a crumpled heap at the bottom. And it was still turning and banging against them. So I, being the hero, I, my cape appeared, my, my underpants. I went in the phone. But I came out. I ran towards the, the escalator. It's always in slow motion, isn't it? And I pressed the red button. I've always wanted to press that red button. <laughs> and then I had the chance to do it. So I press the red button, the escalator stops, and the security men, as you, they turn up straight away, and they start telling me off for pressing the red button. They completely ignore the person in a crumpled heap on the floor, and say, why did you press that? You've got no right to press that. You have to have authorization to press that. The guy's fallen, he's collapsed. Well, you shouldn't do that. But that's what it's there for. Don't press the red button is the moral of that story, even when you should. Listen, that's what it's like to try and live the Christian life. You're trying to... Keep going with all these things that we read about, your moral excellence, your knowledge of him, uh, your self-control, and so on, and everything's coming against you. Now, here's the problem. As you go through life, certain things happen that have the effect of speeding up the escalator. As you grow and develop in life, you take on more responsibilities. And the effect is to make the escalator run a bit harder against you because there are more pressures on you in life. You get a promotion at work. That's great. But you also get the responsibility that goes with it. Maybe you have to stay a bit later. Maybe you have to manage some more people and look after their situations as well. So the escalator starts to come against you a bit faster. So what happens if you're used to running on the escalator at a certain level? The pressures increase, the escalator gets faster, and so what do you got to do? Go a bit faster. And as if, as if that's not enough, by the time you've had a couple of kids and got a mortgage and some bills and a student loan to pay off, you're going a lot faster than you did. And then this guy turns up at the bottom 
His badge says engineer, but that's really a code word for the devil. And he takes the inspection plate off the escalator. <laughs> Only some kinds of engineers. And he turns up the speed as well on you, just to be mean, because he's not kind. So, if you want to run in 2020 at the same speed as 2019, what's going to be the problem? Yeah, there's a little guy down the bottom turning the speed control up. And you're saying, well, I'm doing as well as I did last year. I'm going just as fast as I did last year. I feel like Michael Jackson here. <laughs> but the escalator is coming towards you even faster. Now, this happened in the life of Jesus. When Jesus starts his ministry, he's got no disciples as such. He's been baptized. The Spirit comes on him like a dove. What's the first thing that happens to him? He, yeah, he goes into the desert. The Holy Spirit propels him, the Bible says, ejects him into the desert. And for six weeks, he is wrestling with everything that makes human beings human and fallen human beings like that. Temptations, thoughts, lusts, the desire for comfort, food, all the rest of it. He's fighting that battle. And he's got no disciples to look after, no ministry to, to, to do, no meetings to go to, no phones to answer, no emails to answer, anything like that. He's just there in the desert at the beginning of his ministry. And he fights with the enemy. So the escalator is turning at a certain speed. And it says at the end of that time that the devil left him for a more opportune time. Okay, Jesus, we've got the speed at 1.5. Let's see how you do with that for a bit, but I'll be back. And halfway through his ministry, when Jesus says to the disciples, who am I? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the opportune time. Jesus, by this time, has got more happening in his life. He's been all over the place preaching. He's healed lots of people. He's got the authorities uh, looking at him and after him. He's got the Pharisees upset with him. The Sadducees don't want him in Jerusalem. There's a lot more pressures on him now. The escalator has been turned up and it's going faster. So Jesus now can't run at the same speed that he did when he started his ministry. He's having to run a bit faster. And in the middle of that pressure, the devil pops up and says, oh, don't go to the cross, Jesus. God forbid that you could do that. He speaks through Peter, who's his nearest and dearest disciple or one of them. That's the opportune time. I'll just slip this in. God forbid that you should go to the cross. <gasps> so the enemy is back. But this time, the escalator is running faster. There are more pressures on Jesus. But he's alert in the spirit, and he doesn't fall for it. Oh, time to run a bit faster. I can do this. And then, at the end of his ministry, the night before he dies, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's saying to the disciples, can you pray and help me? The pressures on me tonight are like no person in life has ever experienced any time or ever will. So much pressure that the blood vessels in his forehead are bursting and blood's coming out. That's how much pressure. Now the escalator is turning at an incredible speed. And the enemy is there saying, don't go to the cross. Don't do that. Run away now. Do something different while you can. Avoid this thing while you can. Now, I was saying to somebody the other day, 
One of the most miserable and disappointing sermons I heard in my life, let me finish the story because it's not really, but just at that point it seemed to be, was when I was listening to Dr. Derek Prince teaching. And I'd been a Christian a few years, and the escalator had started turning faster and faster, and I was running as fast as what I thought I could run, and it was hard work. And then Derek Prince says this, he said, let me say this to you, the Christian life does not get any easier as you grow older. I was shattered. Because I was thinking, oh, surely this gets a bit easier. Surely this pressure on you when you're young to pay your bills and live on a grant and educate and you know, do all this other stuff and find the right person in life and find a job that really is the right, all that stuff. And surely it doesn't get any worse than that. Surely when you, you, know, when you get married and get a mortgage and a couple of kids and a dog, it'll all even out and it will be roughly about the same. And Derek Prince says, no. Every year that goes by, it actually gets harder. Oh, no. I wish I'd never come to this sermon. It's just ruined everything I've thought about the Bible, about the Christian life. I'm committed. I can't turn back. But do you mean it gets worse than this? And then he went on to say, this is the good bit then, but as that happens, God helps you. He causes your shoulders to grow broader and stronger and wider to be able to carry it all. And a relief swept over me. I thought, ah, if God's there to help me, if God can do something in me to cause my shoulders to grow broader, my ability to handle this pressure, to run faster on the escalator, and if God can do that, then maybe I can get through. I need his help. I need to know him closer. I need to plug into him more. I need this kind of process we've been about here. I need God in my life to be increasing his work and his godliness and his nature and his life inside of me because without it, I'm not going to be able to run fast enough to keep going. And fast as the escalator's going, I'm not going to be able to keep up with it. But thank God he's a God who's kind. Thank God he's a God who grants. Thank God he's a God who gives. Thank God he's a God who helps us shoulder the burden as more of that stuff, the more of that pressure in life comes on to us. I hope I haven't ruined your new year by telling you that because it was kind of a, a shock to me when I heard that said. But I hope you'll hear the good side of that. There is grace. There is provision. The beginning of our passage said he has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness, everything we need to run faster on the escalator, God has given us already in Christ and through the cross, which again was the effect of that prophetic word there. All that I die to apprehend for you is at your disposal. Listen, 2020, it's quite likely the escalator will turn a bit faster. But thank God, you're going to be able to run faster. And if we do the things that people have been saying about here, if we push into God... If we get to know him better, then we'll be able to run faster on the escalator. Now, if we don't run faster and we end up in a heap at the bottom, 
the Bible uses some really interesting language about that. It calls us useless and unfruitful. Did you come to church today to be called useless and unfruitful? I hope you didn't, because that's not what you're here for. You're not here to hear that message, but it is there. Could you imagine meeting Jesus this year? He comes back, or you go to be with him in some way, and he says, Welcome, thou useless and unfruitful servant. <gasps> I wasn't hoping to get that kind of welcome. But Peter says, if we're not growing, if we stay the same, if we think we can get by this year like we did last year, if we think the escalator is going to turn at the same speed and we can keep running at the same speed, you've got another thing coming because all you'll end up with like that is useless and unfruitful. I know nobody here wants to be that. The only alternative is to increase what we did last year, what we did for God, the amount of time we spent with him, the amount of heart we put into it all. Thank God for all of that. But this year, more. It's very interesting. All the people I asked, nobody said they want this year to be the same as last year. Everyone wanted more of the knowledge of God. More the expression of who God is, more witness, more evangelism. Everybody wanted more, more of God's blessing, more of God's prosperity, more of God's provision. Does anybody here would like more in 2020? See a Anybody want more of God in 2020? I hope some of you do. Well, here's, here's the question then for the conclusion. Is anybody willing to give more? Is anyone willing to run a bit faster on the escalator with God's help? Yes, I see that hand. God bless you. May you have a great 2020 about there. And anybody else has put their hand up there. May God bless us with a great 2020 as we increase. As we increase in our godliness, in our knowledge of him. I'm going to ask us to pray. Two ways. I'm going to thank God for 2019 and all the good of 2019. And I'm going to ask us if we really want to follow through on that hand up and say, Lord, I want 2020 to be a year of growth, a year where I gave more to you and I received more from you, that I was able to run faster and give more because you're with me on the escalator, enabling me to do what I need to do, to be all I need to be in you. Remember, provision is there. It's at our disposal, the prophetic word says. And the, and the scripture says, everything pertaining to life and godliness, he's given us. As I'm praying, I want you to sort of join in with me in spirit and in heart. And I'm just going to take a moment to thank God for 2019. I wonder if we can just do that personally and all together at the same time. Thank you for the good of 2019. Thank you for the financial provision there was. Thank you for the job provision. Thank you for the relationship provision. Thank you for all the good ways God has met us. Lord, we thank you now for all the good of 2019. Thank you for meeting us in many different ways. Thank you for blessing us, Lord. We give you thanks for this past year. It's been a good year in so many ways. A year of progress, a year of building, a year of growth and development personally and as a church thank you for these things thank you for being there thank you for helping us thank you for healing us 
Thank you for touching our lives. Thank you for providing for us. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for holding it together when we couldn't quite do it on our own. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for so much good in 2019. We bless you for it. We give you glory and thanks today. Now, Lord, we look forward to 2020. And Lord, we pray that it will be a year of increasing, increasing our depth of walk with you, increasing our knowledge of you personally, increasing our ability to go your way, to shoulder responsibility, to carry what you've given us to carry in life, to escape from the stuff of this world that pulls us down, pulls us back, to partake in your divine nature. Thank you. I want to offer you this opportunity while our eyes are closed. If you want to make a stand today and say, Lord, I want 2020 to be a year of increase, to be a year of that real living, to be a year when I apply for the grant from God more, where I ask God for good things for more, and I see God do more good things in my life. And I grow in my knowledge of Him and in my walk with Him. If you want 2020 to be that kind of year for you in the Lord, then I'm just going to invite you to stand now as a, as a sign before the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Lord, we stand here today before you. And thanking you for 2019. We look to 2020 and we say, Lord, more of you. More of you in our lives. More of your grants, more of your promises. Lord, I want to pray right now for those personal promises that you've lodged in people's hearts. They came from you. I want to pray for a fulfillment of those promises this year. Lord, as 2020 comes, I want to pray that we'll make the application that we'll reach out to you and say, God, would you meet me in this year? That the promises you've given me, good promises in you will come to pass because your hand is on my life this year. Lord, I speak those promises into being now in Jesus' name. Lord, we reach out to you now by faith that this will be a year when the promises break through. Magnificent and precious promises from you. Lord, and we speak to, into 2020 that it will be a year of increasing growth in you, personally and as a church. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, you give us the grace and the strength to shoulder the burden and to grow in the face of these things so that we can make real progress in you. Lord, I pray for that real living, real multiplication, real faith, real walk with you that the prophecy spoke about. I pray that will come upon us even today and pave the way for the beginning of the new year in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.